this morning. I don't know if uh, too cold or whatever. Uh, we did have a great time yesterday at the uh, harvest dinner. Um, one thing that struck me uh, of our time together is there were a lot of different ages there. We had some little ones, and we had some uh, classics there as well. Um, and uh, I, I'm always reminded, you know, uh, that that faith in a family is only one generation away, right? Um, and you can't uh, you can't make uh, your children or your grandchildren come to Christ. You can't make them. Uh, some of you were pretty good at. Uh, behavior modification as they were being raised and you could control them and squeeze them and spank them because they needed it uh, and correct them in such ways. Uh, But ultimately, it's uh, when you pass it on, uh, it has to be passed on. Uh, Many of you don't know this about me, but I I was on the track team in high school. Um, Some of you are in your mind right now. You're going, are you kidding me? can't imagine. Uh, Actually, I threw shot put in discus, which makes a whole lot more sense, right? Uh, But um, I I watched many uh, relay teams. I watched many of them. And it was very fascinating to me because they would practice over and over again. They'd practice running, uh, getting fast, but they would also practice the handoff, the handoff. And it was so critical. And uh, if you drop it, if it, you fumble it, it's over, right? And so they, they tried to make it a fast exchange, but also they, and, and there was this thing where you're running fast, you're doing your own thing, you're in your lane, you're, you're doing it, but when it comes to the handoff, what happens? You need to slow down. You need to be careful. You need to be conscious that you are handing it to that next one, and what, what, when should you let go of it? when you make sure they have it, right? You know, and that idea. And I want to just encourage you, grandparents and parents, that's what this is all about, is that we would have faith ourselves and then have faith to pass on. Uh, And to make sure if you are a believer in Jesus Christ right now, that you're looking to pass it on. You're looking to make that exchange. And I, I want to encourage you grandparents, don't give up. If God still got you here, it's that you would be sharing and encouraging and praying for your grandkids. Um, so anyways, that has nothing to do with my message really this morning, but I wanted to say that. And turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 10. I did want to tie up some things from last week. Um, and I, I realized the last few messages were a little tough. Uh, and that's okay, right? Um, if God were uh, completely understandable in five minutes, uh, he probably wouldn't be God, right? And so this idea that we would understand completely everything uh, and that we would be able to say, oh, I got it, no big deal. Um, that's, that's not what we're in for as we look to the scripture. I want to encourage you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, to not hate the word election, um, to don't hate it. In fact, embrace it. As you look at the scripture, there's four or five different places where uh, God's people are referred to as the elect, as the elect, not by their own doing, not by their own choosing, but by God choosing them. 
And even last night as I was speaking to one person, they wanted to, they wanted to stand up and say that they were grateful that God chose them, but they didn't want to create too much confusion. And I just want to say this, um, it, it's God's word. It's God's word. It's God's uh, choosing and God's election. As you look at chapter nine, we're going to get into some things this morning that will be helpful for you. But don't hate the word. Um, if you're a believer, you are God's elect, chosen by the Father. Chosen by the Father. So rejoice. So rejoice. And so uh, I, this morning, before we uh, read God's word, to, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, we're going to, I just want to remind you of some things that are going on in the book of Romans. <clears throat> the first part, and, and really in a, a very detailed, over and over again, laborious type of way, uh, Paul goes through the predicament of men, the predicament of mankind, the, the, the sins of men. And, and the idea of predicament, it's the one they got themselves into, right? Uh, in our sin, uh, what we have done, what we have, how we have offended God is the mess we've got ourselves in. And we can't get out. We cannot get out. Um, this is what Paul goes over and over and over again. And then even as we looked at chapter 9, we see God's uh, choosing or his election, his saving work that he does as part of his plan. You see really the answer to man's predicament. And this morning, uh, we're going to take steps in the direction of, so what do we do? How do we respond uh, to God's work in our predicament? And so um, that's, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. God's word says this, uh, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. Verse two, for I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, uh, they did not to submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. God, thank you for your word. I ask your grace and blessing on our time together. I pray that you'd clarify in our minds and hearts what is the gospel and how you would have us respond to you, your love for us. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to remind you, we, we looked a few, few weeks back uh, that Paul said that he would uh, want to, he loved his countrymen, the Jews, so much that he would want to take their place if he could. He couldn't, but, and, and I want to remind you, uh, we're going to get into it this morning, that the most important thing for any single person is that they know Jesus. The most important thing. Um, I, I, I want to highlight that and just just say it over and over again, because I, I know there's a lot, lot of things that could happen in the world. Like there's a lot of uh, uh, things that are kind of important that go on over the uh, course of a week or a year. 
And when you think of uh, one growing up or a spouse or someone that you love, there's many things and wishes that you would have for them. Uh, But the most important thing is that they would know Christ and be saved from their sins. In verse one, uh, Paul shares his heart uh, and then goes on quickly to talk about a barrier to salvation for his countrymen. In verse one, it says, uh, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved or they may be saved. Um, Paul couldn't get away from it. Paul couldn't get away from it. And, and I want to encourage you not to get away from it. Uh, I, I think it's often that we, when we think of our kids and grandkids, our spouse, our, our friends, our other family members, uh, we like to be positive. We like to uh, talk about their great accomplishments. But uh, understanding our own need for salvation, really the most important thing for them is not that they would have what we have because of Christ. And so as Paul talks about uh, his people once again, he said, my heart's desire, uh, the thing of my heart, uh, when Paul and many times in different uh, writers of scripture talk about the heart, they're talking about their deepest person, really mission control for them, what's deep inside of them. His heart desire for them was not that you know, they would get a land or uh, they would increase their borders or their economy would be better. Uh, his heart's desire for them was that they would be saved. So much so that he says it's not just his heart's desire, but it's his prayer to God, uh, realizing once again that you cannot save somebody. Uh, you, it may be your heart for them, your desire for them, but you can't do it for them. And so the work of God, uh, you're calling on the one who can do Uh, the one who can work. And so this was Paul's heart for himself and uh, heart, his own heart, but also to call upon his God, the God who knows and loves and created him, created them, uh, that they would be saved. As we look at this, uh, I want to tell you that this is every lover's heart. Like I said before, it's the parents and grandparents Um, We can quickly get in our minds, uh, especially with our our kids, we can say, you know, what do I want for my kid when they're 30? What do I want? Maybe you could ask yourself that. What do you you want? Well, I want them, you know, maybe you want them to be married. Maybe you want them to have a career. Maybe you want them to have a good career where they make a lot of money. Maybe you want them to pay their bills. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? You know, as you think about the consumers they are that, you know, I don't want to say useless eaters, but they're, they're in your home and, but you, you, you desire for them, you, you, you're picturing them and you say, one day they will go uh, from being this little one that's dependent. And I, my, my desire for them is when they're 30, that they would no longer be dependent, but they would be doing it on their own. Maybe you think in terms of a college degree, or maybe you want them uh, to marry well, and uh, you, you have all these thoughts in your mind of what should happen. And I just wanna encourage you to really focus those as secondary issues under salvation. Um, as we look at this, 
he shares with us that uh, his desire for them was that they would be saved, but there was a barrier in verse two, if you look down at it. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Um, you can, there's so many different illustrations about this. Have you, have you ever, uh, you know, watched, um, you know, a little kid's baseball game? And there's always that one kid that's super excited. They're just super excited and they're energetic. And uh, they say, you know, I, I want to I want to bat. And they're swinging the bat. And, and the coach is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, uh, be careful that, that, you know, he says, no, I want to swing as hard as I can. And I just, I want to. And then they say, well, it's your turn to get up. And they, they go up to the plate and they stand on the plate like this, looking at the pitcher. And the coach says, no, 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 you, you don't stand there like this. You got to stand there like this. You go, oh, okay. And he has no idea, but he's super excited. And he, he's seen enough of this that he goes, I know what I'm supposed to do. When the ball comes, I'm supposed to hit it. And so the, the ball comes and they swing as hard as they possibly can. And they miss the ball by a mile and basically screw themselves into the ground like this, maybe even falling down. And then the 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 issue of their success had nothing to do with them not being zealous about it, but it had the idea that they had no idea what they were supposed to be doing. Um, And in time that maybe you could grow to be a great baseball player, but if you don't add understanding of what you're supposed to be doing, uh, it's just zeal without knowledge. And as Paul looked at his countrymen, the Jews, the the people that he knew well, because he was one of them, It's not that they weren't zealous uh, for being religious people. It's not that they weren't zealous for that. They were. And and as he describes their big barrier, uh, it was that they did not know or they did not uh, put that zeal or the other word is enthusiasm, right? The idea that you're enthusiastic about something, but it wasn't based on knowledge. And uh, I want to encourage you, as you think through your own relationship with God, it should be zealous and enthusiastic, but not in terms of this reckless, not understanding who God is according to your own ideas. I want to encourage you, sometimes we look at people and we say, man, they're, they're super excited, so they must be right. I want to tell you that's not true. They can be enthusiastically wrong, right? Um, Really passionate, yet wrong in the eyes of God. And so be careful as you think through where you stand with the Lord. Paul looked at these first couple of verses and he said, you know, my heart's desire is for them. In fact, uh, you you could even say in his heart he was enthusiastic for them. And then in verse two, they were enthusiastic about, uh, you know, having or doing what they wanted to do in relationship to God, but it was not according to knowledge. And I want to say this, they were not saved. They did not know Christ, which brings us to verse three. Um, and this, I, I would just title verse three as self-made salvation, self-made salvation, In verse three, it says, uh, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. We've been 
you know, talking about this word a ton, this idea of righteousness. And righteousness is made right with, or being right with God. And uh, as you look at what the Jews were doing, it, it says they were ignorant of the righteousness of God, meaning this, that God has a righteous standard, that he is righteous, and that standard of righteousness or that picture or what that is, is what he applies or looks for in his people. Um, This is kind of hard to understand because being right with God or doing what's right uh, should be kind of cut and dry, isn't it? But it's not. It's not. There's really uh, two basic ways you can miss. You can miss the righteousness of God. The first one is probably... Uh, the most common for us, maybe it's not, but the, the, very common, and we see it all the time, is to just change the standard, okay? If God says, this is what I want you to do, you say, well, I have a different standard. I'm going to make up my, I'm going to get a little creative here. Uh, it's not what God thinks. It's not what God thinks for all people, It's like my own standard of righteousness. It's different. Um, You you see this all the time where people uh, uh, lie, steal, cheat, uh, immorality, and they say, but I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I have a good heart. (laughs) That's not what Romans says. You know, that's not what God told his apostle Paul and he wrote down, right? This idea that, that you can make up your own standard of righteousness and then live by that and just do your own thing, be creative, uh, that's not the righteousness of God. That's not what comes from him. And insofar, it's not the righteousness of God. It's not righteousness, <laughs> okay? And so there's one way to miss. And then there's the, the second way to miss is maybe the idea that you are uh, looking at it. And this was pretty classic for the Jews, is that they saw themselves as obeying the Ten Commandments all the time. They didn't, but they wanted to live up to that. And they said, I can do it on my own, on my own. I'm gonna, I I know God has a standard. I'm gonna do it on my own. I'm gonna impress God. I'm gonna impress God with how good I can be. I'm gonna tell you both of those are big misses. The idea of making up your own standard and then the idea that you are uh, in your mind gonna impress God apart from him. I wanna tell you that that's why self-righteousness, that when we talk, use that word self-righteous, um, that's why it's bad, right? Because we can't, we can't. And so in, in verse three, you see a self-made salvation. It says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, what God has designed and who he is, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Um. And it's the idea that they didn't grasp his way of salvation. They didn't grasp his plan, his standard, his plan, his way to heaven, his son, Jesus. They did not grasp it. In fact, they 
clung to their own. And I want to tell you, this is the danger for us this morning. For my hearers here today and for myself as we look to this. This is my danger, your danger. Is that we don't look to God and say, what is your way to salvation? But we say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I, I say this a lot, but we live in a DIY culture, right? Um, and, you know, we look at things and we say, well, I can do it myself. I don't have to ask anybody. I don't have to listen to anybody. I can, I can even create different ways, right? I, I'm a DIYer. You know, you think in terms of, I, I don't need any uh, authority. I'll just go to YouTube, right? Uh, and I'll figure it out. I'll do my own thing. And I want to tell you, self-made salvation is no salvation at all. It's no salvation at all. And as Paul was reflecting on his heart for his people, the barrier was not that they weren't zealous enough. The barrier was that they didn't have knowledge. And so what led them to this idea of no knowledge is that they said, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to make my own path, either uh, this idea of ma- changing the standard or saying that we have accomplished the standard and I can do it on my own, a self-made salvation, which is no salvation at all. Which brings us to verse four. Uh, one way salvation for everyone. As you look at verse four, it says, for, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When you see, so there's different um, identifications of who Jesus is. Jesus was his name. Christ was kind of his title. And when you see the word Christ, know this, that it wasn't just that they were swapping him out and just for variety, that Paul was actually saying something specific. When he uses the word Christ, he is pointing, he is pointing to Jesus the man being someone. And I, I was trying to layer these in my mind so I could communicate them to you. What he is saying when he says Christ is he is the promised, sent, substitute Savior. Okay, promised, sent, substitute, Savior. When you see that word Christ, it connects to the Old Testament Messiah. And Messiah was the promised one that was, you know, you're go- there's going to be one that's coming. So he's the promised one. In the New Testament, as we realize that uh, it says Christ, we realize really the identification of Jesus in the Gospels is showing him to be the one sent to be the Christ. So the promised sent. But you, you can't just stop there. You have to ask the question, what did, was this big accomplishment that he did? What is it? It's that he was our substitute. He was our substitute. When you think of the cross of Jesus Christ, what he did, other people went to the cross. Other good men have died. You know, it wasn't just that he died on a cross. It wasn't just that he died uh, undeserving. It's that he died as a substitute, a substitute for me and you. He took our place. And in so doing, uh, you cannot uh, reject the idea that he is the Savior. He is the Savior. And so... 
when Paul says Christ, just know that uh, all these things are uh, in his mind. He's not just a man, but he is the one. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. End of the law for righteousness. As you look at this, um, the, the law could not save because of man's sin. And, and when I say it could not save, I, I guess, you know, there's this possibility, this hypothetical thing that will never happen. If you had a, a sinless man or woman and they kept the law perfectly, then they could be saved by their own works. But as you look at the book of Romans and you, it belabors and we see it over and over again, but also the rest of scripture, that mankind is a sinner by birth, is a sinner by birth, and then they sin a bunch of times afterwards, right? And they're always a sinner in the sense that they're always sinning, always sinning. And so if you look at this, you say, well, you know, what's the position of the law and a, a person? The law is just always a reminder that we're a sinner, always. And as you look at that, you, maybe some of you have gone to uh, churches and you say, man, they're just so discouraging all the time. Well, a church that's discouraging, I'll tell you what they do. They tell you what they do. They say, here's what God says, live up to it. Shame on you if you didn't. Shame on you. You should have tried harder. If you would have just tried harder, you could have been better, but you didn't. You know, the, the finger comes out. And, and, and that finger of faith in some ways is shaming you and shaming you. And you go, oh, I just need to try harder. I just need to be better. I, I want to tell you that that's not the point of the book of Romans. That's not the point of the Bible. You look at the law, and the law was meant to reveal what? That we were sinners, and it did a good job. did a perfect job. It showed us where we are sinners and how we are sinners and uh, the repetition of it. And as you look at verse 4, it says, So for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And this is kind of awkward wording for us as we see the Greek just trying to be translated. But, but the idea here as, as we see this, he connects the law with righteousness. And he says, you know, is this coming from works? No. What does Jesus have to do? What does the Christ have to do with the law? And as we look at this, we see this. There's no way that man could be righteous in and of themselves, themselves, but through the work of Christ. And I want to tell you, I know I keep saying this word over and over again as we've been preaching through it, justification is described right there. How, did, how does Christ fit into the law and righteousness? Is that he's the one, he's the one that can make us righteous when we were not. He's the one. And so as we see this, it's not a righteousness that comes from the work. There's no way that could happen, but it comes through the work of Christ. And so as we look at verse four, Christ is the end of the law. Um, some would use the word there, the culmination, the culmination. 
the completion, the, the idea of not, in other places it talks about setting aside the law. I don't think that's the, the complete idea here, but the idea of being that, that Christ is the one that can help us fulfill the law where we can't fulfill it. Christ is the one. And I, I'd say it this way, Christ is the one who saves as you look at verse four, it says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to what? To, to what? To, to, to everyone, to everyone. Uh, who does that include? Well, let, let me say this. It doesn't mean that everyone is saved. It does not mean that everyone is saved. It's that this one gospel is the, the, the gospel for humankind. For, for mankind, anyone who would, uh, has been created by God as people that have walked the face of the earth, he's saying this is the, the you know, for everyone. And, and in Paul's mind, who's he talking about? For the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. When you hear that, I, I've talked to you about this before. Jews, God's special people, and then everybody else, right? Everybody else. As you look at that, Paul is saying there's no distinction. He's going to go on to really make that. Don't look at them as separate because everyone, everyone needs to come to Jesus. That's the only way. There's no other way. It's not a, a good news gospel for the Jews and a good news gospel for the Gentiles. It's two different things. It's not that. It's good news for the Jews and the Gentiles. And I would say this, too. And be careful, you're not hearing something I'm not saying. It's the good news for the Muslims and the Hindus too, right? And you say, well, how does uh, uh, somebody who's been born as a Muslim in a Muslim country, Hindu, same, same situation or anything, how do they come to faith? How, how do they come to saving faith? I want to tell you, it's the same gospel, same gospel. You know what, it's also uh, the gospel of both the Democrats and the Republicans. We had an election. This, you know, must be a lot of votes out there because it's tough to count. Um, but, uh, sorry. Just being a little snarky on Sunday morning. Um, it's the gospel for the Democrats and the Republicans. It's, I want to tell you that all, all need to be saved. All need to be saved. And this idea that uh, it's like a Democrat thing or a Republican thing, or it's not. It's a gospel for everyone. It's a gospel for the Ukrainians and the Russians, right? As you look at that, we, we have a missionary who works with both. We're going to talk to him tomorrow, Lord willing, Eric Mock, uh, as the elders. And what an uh, important thing for us to remember, right? It doesn't matter who's got the bigger guns or whatever. They all need to be saved, Right? Um, and so as we look at this, we need to remember this is uh, a, a gospel for everyone. And so where we're going with this, where Paul is going, where God wants to share with us is that it's not about uh, our identity, whether it be you know, our, our culture or our upbringing or whatever, that we would abandon our identity and find ourselves in the righteousness of Christ, that we would no longer see ourselves as ones who have been Jews or Gentiles or this or that, but that we would accept the gospel, the gospel for everyone, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which brings us 
to the end of verse four, and it says this, to everyone who believes, to everyone who believes. Now, uh, have you heard that before? Have you heard that before? Last week, uh, we ended, chapter nine ends, how does it end? Just look up in your Bible, uh, you can see it on the screen here in a moment, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 33. What does it say? How does it end? And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Believes in who? You know, as you look up, uh, it says the stone, the stumbling, the rock of offense. And as you realize, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And so to believe in Jesus. I I want you to see this. This is very important. Uh, As we're going to see in a couple of weeks, uh, chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Is it up on the screen? Uh, Yeah, so it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. What does that sound like? It's the same thing he says in the end of verse 9, after chapter 9, right? Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, right? I should have probably hit that harder, but I will in a couple of weeks. But that idea of being put to shame, you look back, it's in the book of Isaiah, but if you look back there, you realize it's, translated like chaos in some translations or uh, I can't remember it's, it's this word of chaos but it, it, it's the idea that when you've been caught in judgment when you've been caught in judgment there's this fr- frantic panic thing going on I don't know how to be right I don't know what's I'm guilty I'm guilty and I want to tell you that as Paul was writing this as he was doing this he says I've shown you that you're guilty I've shown you that you're guilty. But I want to also say this. If you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. You will not be guilty. You'll be made right. He says this as he connects this with believing. I want to show you a few more. Sorry for this. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, Chapter 1, right? Just starting off. What does Paul say? He says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? That's what he started out with. It's been a long time since we've been in chapter one, but I want to tell you, this is Paul's message. It's that if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him, uh, that you will be saved. And then uh, I want to look at Romans chapter four, verses three, and then we'll look at verse five. Uh, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse five, and to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Uh, This is the, the theme and the response and what I, what, what I want to just kind of get to in talking about this, and obviously we're going to come back to it because there's a couple of more believing passages 
uh, really in chapter 10, but also in uh, other verses following. Um, what believing is, what believing is, it's not just simply agreeing, simply agreeing. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. It's trusting in. It's trusting in. There's a bunch of words of salvation. Believe, trust, faith. And the idea here is, is and I want, I want you to, uh, to really look at this passage, what he is getting at. What he is saying is, do not believe in your hopeless works. Do not believe in your hopeless works. Do not believe in your creativity of making your own way. And do not believe that you can be good enough without Jesus. Trust or believe in Jesus. And, and what, what he is saying as he says believe and you be, be saved he, is that he would uh, abandon his own hopeless works. I'm a good person because of What? And you probably have reasons, right? Like, like every person that I meet, you know, it's always a funny thing. Yeah, I, I try not to let people go too long without knowing that I'm a pastor. You know, some, some pastors like, like to play with people and stuff like that. I, I feel uncomfortable, especially in a small town. They're, you know, they, but anyways, I, I try to tell people early and then immediately many people try to tell me how good they are. Like, I'm going to tell God, God, you probably think he's a sinner, but he told me, you know. Uh, and, and I want to say, when they tell me those things, I'm a good husband, I'm a good parent. Make my kid do homework. My kids are respectful. They're not like those other brats, right? My kid, my kid will never do that. Not in front of you, but... Uh, they're saying, I'm a good person because, and I, they're saying, I am righteous because, and there's the proof. It's interesting, I was in a, a situation a few months ago, and uh, people were, there's a group of people in the community, and they were talking about, they're not believers, they were a bunch of different people, and uh, they were talking about the idea of wearing masks, wearing masks or not wearing masks. And this one leader of our community said, you know, this is what she said. She says, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. So I'll wear my mask because I care about you and I'm a good person. And one of the other people just flipped out at the table. It was great to see. It was great to see. <laughs> but uh, this idea, we're always looking for evidence, evidence that I'm a good person in and of myself. And I want to tell you the best small things that we can do are ridiculous to go before a holy God. They're, they're not evidence of our righteousness. They're evidence of our pride, which is wicked in his eyes. I'm a good person because I, I, I do this. I maybe pay my taxes. I take you know, care of my kids where other people do not. And what we're saying is I work my own way. I work my own way, and somehow I'm making myself righteous. I want to tell you that that belief right there is what God is saying to abandon. He says, do not believe in yourself. Do not believe in yourself. Do not believe in some other man's way, but believe in the only one who can make you righteous, 
the only one, and his name is Jesus. He is the Christ. And so for us, we want to trust in the work of Jesus alone. Trust in the work of Jesus alone. I want to give you three things to tie up our time, and then I want to do something uh, hopefully helpful for all of us. The first one is this. Just as we tie up our time, abandon your own righteousness. Don't talk about it. (laughs) Don't talk about it. Don't think about the things that you're proud of. But as you look at your life, always be applying the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Abandon your own righteousness. Realize it's inadequate. As you look at this passage, secondly, I would just say this. Include yourself in the everyone. Include yourself in the everyone. Who needs to be saved? Well, I needed to be saved. This one-way salvation It was for me. It was for me. I think often we look at the wicked people of the world and there are wicked people and there's crazy stuff going on in our world and we we find out about them. We get snapshots of them. We're shocked by them. But I want to just encourage you as we look to God's word, uh, me first, right? Include yourself in the everyone. Who needs to be saved by Jesus Christ? I do. I am the one. And then lastly, I'd just say a one word, believe, 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 trust in Christ, not in yourself. Lady that I know, uh, she was wondering about the gospel and thinking through how to communicate. And she, she asked me, she said, um, Kevin, you know, if, if someone was to pray a sinner's prayer, what would what would you have them pray? What would be the words? And I, I thought it was an interesting question because she was hoping uh, in being able to be there to lead someone to the Lord. And so I thought, that's a great, that's a great question. And so I, I wrote back and I said, you know, I, I said to this friend, I said, you know, first thing I would tell you is it, it's not a, a pattern of words. It's not a pattern of words. It's not a reciting of anything. But it's a sinner pouring out their heart to a holy God. And so I said, but, but so I, I would encourage people to, if they want to come to know Christ, is to just cry out to God, to cry out to God. But I said, these are some things that I would want them to know because I think that they reflect really the gospel and where it is uh, for a sinner to um, communicate with God to understand first and that they would place their faith in Jesus. And the first thing is, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I think about that and I think about how long Paul took to describe that in the book of Romans, right? And it was like, if you didn't get it, I'll get you next chapter, you know, and then I'll get you next chapter. And, you know, he says, oh, you're a Jew. I'll, I'll make it in your language, and then I'll do this. Oh, you think you're smart? How about this then, you know? And, and there's this idea that you are a sinner. And it's shocking to us. It's shocking to us because we always want to think of ourselves as mostly good and just a little bit bad, a little bit bad. That first thing, that first step is for us to think, I am a sinner. I want to tell you, not to get too much into this, but parents, one of the first things you want to do in your parenting, those first years, maybe up to 12 or so, is you're just pointing out where your kids are wrong. You're saying, that's wrong. It's not wrong in my eyes, but it's wrong in the eyes of God. 
And you say, well, that's discouraging to them. Yeah, it might be, right? It should be, right? But that's, you know, the first step is to identify the truth that we are sinners. We are sinners. We failed God. We are not righteous. So I am a sinner. Secondly, I can't save myself. I can't save myself. So, uh, you know, we're, we're solutions-oriented people, right? You know, and we overcome obstacles, right? And so there's an idea where we come, come up with a problem. The problem is I am a sinner. Well, how do I fix that? And uh, most of us, when we have a problem, uh, we say, I want to take care of this privately on my own by myself. So I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Thirdly, I would say this. I need to have my sins forgiven. I need them forgiven. So uh, there's a lot of things we just live with. We look at problems in our lives and we say, you know, I, I figured out that there's a problem, like I'm a sinner, and I know that I can't fix this. I can't save myself. Uh, so what am I going to do? I'll just live with it. I'll just live with it. I, it's not that important. I'll act like it's not that important. I'll act like, but that's not true. I'm a sinner. Can't save myself. I need to have my sins forgiven. Which turns from us, our predicament, to really that next step of crying out to the Lord and to, know, to acknowledge Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for sinners. The whole story of Jesus is that he came to die for sinners. That substitute. He came to be that substitute, that one that they could not do on their own. They could not figure it out. They needed to have it done and Jesus died for sinners. And then it comes to what we've been talking about, to believe, to, to cry out to the Lord and say, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe the story, the message, what happened, and that is what I believe in. That is what I trust in. And then to acknowledge that I trust that his death, his resurrection was to pay for my sins. I, I am not trusting in my own doing. And then uh, as you, you take a step from there, just to acknowledge that with God's help, with Christ's forgiveness, the grace of the gospel, I will live for you for the rest of my days. This is not a temporary thing. This isn't something you do at camp. This isn't something that's a, a single day event. It is something that you're walking with your Lord till he takes you home. There's failings, obviously, and there. God forgives us. We don't become righteous and never sin again, but that he, his grace is sufficient for the days after salvation as it was uh, at the point of salvation. Hope that's helpful. And God, thank you uh, for this morning and this passage. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the Christ, who came, um, and God, I just ask, uh, especially for those here today, if you, they hadn't trusted in Christ or they're trusting in other things, that they'd abandon their ways, their, their uh, own ways, and trust in your only uh, path of salvation. God, grant us repentance in the areas we struggle. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.